dive deep into the realm of large language models, prompt engineering, and best practices. With over 25 years of combined AI and product engineering experience, here are your hosts, Bradley Arsenault and Justin Macarin. Hey, Justin. Hello, Brad. Justin, did my startup just get murdered by OpenAI? I don't know. I, I, I got their, their press release too. And I guess my first question is, is your startup a simple wrapper around GPT 3.5 or a wrapper around GPT 4? Like, is that your startup? I, that's a good question. And to be fair, the idea did a little bit start that way because I actually came up with FlowThought as like a dev tool where it kind of more credibly was just going to be a simple wrapper and something really quick. But I don't think it is. I think that there, the question that we need to be asking here is like, what is the value proposition of your startup? You know, and do if your value proposition is something super, super simple, um, like that, that's basically just a feature, then I don't know. But when we look at, um, flow thought, my value proposition is not a wrapper around GPT three. It's actually, um, trying to solve the problem of how to use these tools for structured qualitative analysis in, in the best way, you know, scorecards or, um, uh, risk analyses or, you know, whatever it is, but you know, I, not even just that, I, you know, people message me saying, Hey, your startup just got murdered. I'm hearing, uh, tweets, oh, a thousand startups just got murdered just because of open AI. Should we go through the list here, Justin, and actually look at some of these features? I think so. So, so we actually have the open AI, you know, blog, the new models and developer products announced at that day open on this list. We have about one, two, three, four, five features that we're going to discuss right now. And let's start with the first one. So the first real big feature in the announcement is 128,000 tokens. Um, Brad, is, is this a, a significant um, development? I think in certain use cases, this might be useful, but like 128,000 tokens, it's a lot. Like if you really look at like how the attention mechanism works, every time it outputs one word, it's going to have to compute the attention gradient over all 128,000 input tokens for every word it outputs. And that's a lot of things to pay attention to at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, 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 and on the same note, the attention gradient, we, we already talked about this in, in one of our previous podcasts, how we have, we have get longer, the quality of output diminishes. So ultimately yeah. open AI can release, you know, an unlimited token kind of limit tomorrow. And we know that, that if, if we used all those tokens, we're not guaranteed good output. No, definitely not. Like, in fact, you should expect that the output you get with those massive, those massive uh, prompts are kind of like right at the edge of like what works, you know, 
like that that you're really on the cutting edge it's probably not gonna work maybe half the time it works half the time the model like misses big gaps or or is is lacking in nuance because it's trying to pay attention to things that too many things at once um it's not it's not a startup killer that's for sure you know coming into this <laughs> all argument, right so, it's definitely not so a startup killer <laughs> your startup is still safe let's go to functions and json formatting um, and basically for, for people who've missed it, you know, this, this functions feature allow people to kind of define how the output and input of, um, these LM should look like. Um, and then the output will be formatted as a JSON object. And basically we still have the same question. Is this a startup killer? I, I know uh, I, I can't imagine any startup built their entire business around like JSON GPT. Like if okay. that, if that, well, <laughs> but that being said, does it make our lives easier now that we can <clears throat> not output as JSON? Yeah. As a startup, like speaking as a startup, actually, I do like this. This is a great feature. Um, it's probably going to be more reliable than like previous methods where you just kind of gave suggested that it should give startup. Maybe it's a fine tuned model, like they're using a different fine tuned model, but like it's just a feature, you know, it's a convenience on the edge. Maybe it saves 10 or 15 engineering hours on, on certain solutions that you're developing. Well, basically Brad, what you're showing right now, and, and this is based on my experience too, like generating JSON from structured data is not inc uh, an incredible engineering feat. Um, so this feature would no. save you know, 10, 10, 15 hours of time. Um, and, and, and maybe say if we were to use something like llama two, then, you know, we could still probably do it there as well. Yeah. Okay. So it's like the choice being like llama two and like an extra 10 hours of engineering time or open AI. So, so it's like, okay, yeah. they've got a little edge. Cool. They've got a little edge. Well, good is good for them, but like it's not, it's definitely not, a, again, not a startup killer. I'm not I guess seeing anything here. On, on a third feature, and this is the one that I'm most excited about it's model reproducibility. And that's something that I've had a hard time with, with GPT 3.5, where it kind of gave me different outputs every time. And now I'm yeah. happy that they have this like seed function. I guess it's, it's this numeric value that you could input into the model and it kind of gives us the same thing all, all over and over again. That's neat. It, it, I think the real question is what took them so long, to be honest with you. This, this is, this, you know, this seems pretty basic when you have a random system, but you want to unit test it, you kind of need to fix the seed. I mean, there's other ways of course, like, you know, segmentation or uh, encapsulation, whatever, but like uh, fixing the seed is like basic, right? It is, it is. Okay, GPT-4 Turbo with Vision. So Ooh. now I guess you can add an image to your text-based large language model. And my question here is, you know, we know that these are two separate models in the back end. So they're just joining two models together as a single API, I haven't taken a look at like the, the post request being sent to this API. Yeah. Is this a startup killer? So 
you know, we look at products like Mid Journey, where it's kind of like a fine-tuned vision model. Um, I don't see anything here that's like taking away like their distinctive advantage. You know, this is uh, maybe a couple startups where their specialty was like generating images might have like a little bit more competition, but it, it doesn't. I don't see anything here that's going to kill a startup. Okay. And and finally, last but not least, this new feature called assistance or GPTs. Now we have GPTs for everything. We have GPTs for dentists. We have GPTs for accountants. And we have GPTs for um, trades people. Is this a startup killer? Will this <clears throat> kill the dentistry business? So this... I th of all the features we've discussed, this one thing probably has the most credible claim to be a startup killer, you know, where um, something that what has been done by startups, which is like making custom chatbots, God knows how many startups there are that do that, you know, OpenAI is now competing in the same market. So they're providing a product to their customers, this... Uh, large language model as a service and I can fine tune it. And they're also now for a segment of those customers competing with those same customers. But I think we want to like, we, we should move ahead to the like analysis as to why even this is probably not a startup killer. But I think that the reason that this, this could potentially kill maybe a handful of startups is is simply that it it's it's a very popular feature. This is something a lot of people want. They want custom chatbots. And now they used to have to use a fine-tuned model. They needed a developer. Now that they can do it themselves. But what but like, about the even... whole like well, but Brad, Brad, Brad. We know that with GPT 3.5 and 4, you can say something along the lines of act as. Act as a helpful assistant. Act as a dermatologist. Act as a news anchor. Act as. Well, I guess, what's the difference between this and act as? Because to be very frank I, with I, you, I, I, I played around with this a bit. And when I opened up the UI for it, um, yeah, there is a prompt that says, act as. <laughs> and it's like very similar to what I saw with like the really? chat. Application. Is yeah, it that yeah. low effort? Oh wow, it's very low. Effort. I honestly, okay, I th honestly thought it was like more value added than even what you're yeah. describing now. No, but, I thought but, maybe but there's more fine tuning thing. or something. No, uh, uh, another thing with the assistance though, there's no fine tuning involved. But one thing with the assistance is that now you could upload a PDF or a series of documents from like your Google Drive or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and and I don't think that they have it hooked up where it's indexing absolutely everything. But I think you got to like upload it one at a time. Um, so now you could act as a helpful assistant with the knowledge or understanding or context of this document. And the way they're doing it on the back end, who knows? Maybe they're using vectors, like maybe they're using embeddings. Maybe they're just like putting everything in the, you know, 128,000 token window. Um, but yeah, I, that's, that's, that's kind of, of, of what the feature is. Pretty cool, nonetheless. It's it's absolutely it's a useful thing, and it, it 
honestly, if you like, you go back a year and you're just, you're thinking, okay, open AI, what products are they likely to build? Like what kind of things might they invent in the future that now that they've had this breakthrough, you would guess, oh, they're making a chatbot app. Of course. Like, <laughs> so I guess from, I, yeah, I, go but on. I want to, why don't we start moving forward here? Because th this, this assistance feature has the most credible claim to be a startup killer. So I kind of want to look at some historical examples where a company has acted as a platform, but then also to some extent competed with the customers that used its platform. Do you know any examples like that? <laughs> I, 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 I feel like I, it's like every tech company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and um, and I think that that you know one really big example that comes to light is AOL. When they first came out, you know, they were really helping people get connected to the internet. They created an email client. They created a chat client. They, they allowed people to get connected. And as a result, they also allowed a lot of their competitors to get connected as well. And a lot of their competitors to use email and messaging and all this kind of stuff. So I think that might be a good example. So, so if I'm if I'm understanding your your analysis right, it, it there there was this sort of general platform, the internet, like this new way of offering goods and services and and being a business, and AOL really took a gigantic step towards enabling people to um, use the internet and get connected to the internet. On top yep. of that, they tried to monetize the internet, so. Although they were helping people connect to the internet, which connected them to a lot of businesses, they were also competing with those businesses, right? We had AOL Messenger and uh, that's right. You know how many ads, right? And then over time, over time, right? I think that we saw better service providers come out of the woodwork. We have yeah. Hotmail being the first one, right? Hotmail providing their email service. Um, and it worked very, very well. We have MSM Messenger. And that also worked really, really well. And over time, yeah. I think a lot of these businesses kind of eating away at AOL's kind of, you know, hook. Um, and it kind of hurt them. It, it, if you were in 1995 in America and you were looking and you were said, AOL's got 30 million people subscribed to their dial-up service, they own the internet. That's what it would look like, right? 100%, yes. They are the Look, owners. Just, but, it, but, but not only that, but also through mass marketing, right? Where everyone was getting an AOL CD via mail. Um, and and Dude, so everyone- I was in Canada and I had some of these CDs. That's right. I, everybody, I, right? Everybody, everybody. <laughs> um, but yet, but yet, so like, if we take this argument that people are making that open AI, because they, they have this platform, but they're also kind of competing with the people who use the platform. If the argument they're making is that OpenAI is going to dominate and trounce everything. If we take that historical analogy, the assumption you have to make is that AOL was going to trounce and destroy everything. Like they Absolutely. were going to own everything because they, they held the platform and they were going to compete with all the users of the platform. People say AOL is a bad analogy. Okay, let's use Netscape. Where's Netscape today? Yes. Right? And I think an interesting point over here is that these these businesses did did not 
disappear over a very long period of time. They disappear yeah. pretty quickly, <laughs> like like pretty much yeah. overnight, like like yeah. in a year or two they were gone. Right um, now. Once again, this is just historical analogy, but let's also take a look at, you know, this example that you talked about earlier um, with the whole like flashlight app. I think that was. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just like this is another example, but like it's like the most basic example. And I think it ties back to what we were talking about at the beginning. You know, in the be when you first got smartphones, there were all these flashlight apps. Right. And they, they made money. You paid like. I, 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 there was like 10 of them and like one of them you would charge two bucks or whatever. Then the operating system installed a flashlight. Now there's no need to have a flashlight app anymore because it's literally built into the Android operating system. I think it's also built into to iOS. So you can argue if you're looking at this situation, this is an example of the behemoth Goliath coming in and crushing these poor independent startup developers of their of their dreams but like look let's uh, let's look at this seriously is your startup your entire value proposition so weak that it's comparable to a flashlight app honestly it, yeah, it, 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 yeah. if it is then yes yes you're you are going to get crushed by the behemoth but I feel like, like we're taught so much as entrepreneurs to, to like develop better value propositions than a flashlight app. You know, there, there's books and literature and, and so much. Like, it's not hard to, to, to do better than that. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, if, if we take a step back, we, we, we looked at historical precedent. We talked about, you know, the features that OpenAI are, are developing. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, more of the strategy that OpenAI has today with going after really two markets, which is the B2B space with ChatGPT. I'm sorry, the B2B space with their APIs and the B2C space with ChatGPT. Um, can, can we kind of dive into this and, and, and kind of get a better understanding of, of how that strategy is working? I think you're bringing up a good point. You know, OpenAI is, people are coming to me saying like, OpenAI is gonna crush FlowThought or it's gonna crush 100,000 startups. Actually, let's look at OpenAI's position for a second here, just like you're saying. Um, it, it it's open ai actually that is um who, whose main product is kind of easy to copy you know these these models um yes they take a lot of compute resources maybe 25 or 30 million dollars but like in the grand scheme of the tech industry there are a lot of companies that could afford to spend 30 million dollars and the fact is, they're actually quite predictable. It's not, they're not like risky projects. These neural networks, we're, they're, we're using proven designs. The designs are actually pretty simple. Like, they're not like super complicated. Um, there's stuff that like any reasonable team of AI engineers could, could, could put together a large language model and get decent results. So, um, 
I think that if we if we analyze the situation that OpenAI is in, actually, um, they they have a a lot of competitive threats from open source models. So we know that Llama 2 got released by Meta. We know Meta is going to keep on releasing these open source models. I think that we're going to have other big businesses releasing these models. I think that based on my understanding, OpenAI is also almost getting ready to release an open source model of they, their own, not to lose market yeah. even in the open source space. Um, and I guess an interesting point about OpenAI, and I think this ties back to how AOL got so popular, is this first mover advantage putting a cd in everyone's mailbox and i think that that's almost you know very similar to how OpenAI has been working today like what the fastest growing product in the world or something yeah absolutely i mean that product went massively viral and it's no doubt like it was kind of in the works right like if you were looking at the research like a year year and a half back you could have maybe saw it coming a little bit but like there's no doubt like that there was one of the fastest growing products in history so they have a great competitive position from the perspective of like branding and distribution they had that first mover advantage it went viral like nothing has ever gone viral before everybody knows about their product so they're in a great position right now but if we look at it from, say, a Porter's Five Forces analysis, that's actually the only thing that they're strong in. In almost every other dimension, the competitive position of OpenAI is actually quite weak. And they're, they're, they're look, like you were saying before, they have a B2B offering and a B2C offering. Usually, good wisdom with being a company is to pick, you know, pick one, pick the other. Pick a specific industry, pick a specific vertical, speci pick your specific niche. By going so broad in general, um, OpenAI is violating a lot of uh, well-established um, best practices in, in product development. Before, I know we're getting close to time, but I want to bring up a, a, a a, t a concept over here that that I heard a while back where this whole you know b2c market play where you're providing a a chatbot interface to consumers to interact with and and dialogue with is actually helping their core engineering team when it comes to learning how people interact with bots and basically generating better answers so is this a naive approach that they're taking or is this more of a strategic approach where they're saying hey you know let's give this away for free let's c collect data understand users understand how people chat understand understand and learn and that'll kind of inform our business and more b2b play going forward i think that you bring up a good um, point, which is that OpenAI, with that first mover advantage, is getting a lot of production data, which, as we know, is way more valuable than the um, data you try to conjure up using, you know, some sort of uh, 
synthetic data uh, process or or your brain. So from that perspective, I do think that they have an advantage. But I don't think that that advantage is going to um, carry the day. I had another point on this, actually. Um, but I've, I've, it's it'll come we back to me. Cover it. We'll, we could probably cover it on another podcast. But anyways, Brad, I think this was a super interesting topic. Thank you very much for um, for sharing this with me. Absolutely. Great topic to, to chat with you, Justin. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe and stay updated on our latest content. We appreciate your support.